Our today's reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8 through to 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8 through to 20. I'm reading from the NIV version. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and right denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase form, the increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the field. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As good increases, so do those who consume them. And what profit, what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, the abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth holdeth to the harm of its owners. A wealth lost through some misfortunes. So that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They have nothing from their toil. Sorry, they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. The seldom reflect of the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Amen. This is God's word. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Let me lead us in prayer together. Our great God and Father, we thank you for the scriptures, 
Thank you that they address everything we need for salvation and for life in this world. And so, Father, as we come once again to think of this very practical matter of our attitude towards wealth and money, thank you that the scriptures have so much to teach us. And would we be shaped by them for our good, as well as your honor, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you realize that when uh, this was read, that this actually is a fantastically encouraging passage. In some sense, is one of the most encouraging we've had, uh, if you've been with us in the book of Ecclesiastes, because it tells us having more money wouldn't make us happier. And that's a really liberating truth. Now, of course, most of you don't believe me, I don't believe me, or more importantly, the Bible and the teacher here in Ecclesiastes, because so often, actually, a little bit more money does help in the short term. So if you're struggling to make ends meet and you get a bit of a pay rise, that's great. That's great. Or uh, all of a sudden there's a little lump sum that comes in um, in some way or other, the inheritance, whatever it may be, that's great. But the problem is, uh, here we are and we're struggling to make ends meet and then a little milk comes in and somehow mysteriously our standard of living rises and we're struggling to make ends meet and then a bit more comes in and that sense of a little bit more money, it's like any drug. You have it, it gives you a hit, you do feel happier, it wears off, you need more and a bigger hit. And so in that sense, okay, you might get a short-term little frisson of pleasure. But Ecclesiastes is very clear. Having more money will not on its own make you happier. You need God to give you contentment with what you have. Now, look, if you don't believe me, I, the, the, or, or the scriptures even, um, the, the mighty brains of uh, Harvard Harvard Business School say the same thing. So a few years ago, lecturers published uh, a book, Happy Money, and it drew upon years of their research and uh, showed that money, we have to be careful, it can sort of buy you happiness, but only in very strict ways. So here are the key findings, the three things. One, you want to buy experiences and not possessions because going to the theatre, paying money to go and see friends, that gives you a lot more pleasure than stuff. Two, uh, make it a treat. Limit access to, the, to your favourite things. If you want to appreciate them, don't have them every day. Have them rarely, then when they come along, oh, that'll be exciting. Number three, crucially, spend money on other people. It just empirically makes you happier than spending money on yourself. That is secular wisdom from Harvard Business School. But the teacher says, you don't waste time trying to accumulate wealth. Don't do that. But we need to spend a bit of time here because it takes time just in our thinking, in our hearts, to undo the relentless juggernaut of consumerism that our world, our Western world normally is. It may have been on pause a little bit uh, during COVID. It depends how much you've uh, donated to Jeff Bezos uh, and Amazon but, um, and, and other such things. But the relentless juggernaut of consumerism that just thinks more happier, more happier. 
So I read recently, 53% of millennials expect to become a millionaire. Wow. That's their aspiration. 53% of, there was a broad category, but loosely 20-somethings. Well, you've got to think, unless inflation really gets out of control, quite a few people are going to be disappointed there. But that's just the juggernaut upon which we travel. Ah, it's my right, my expectation that wealth will come. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, do not waste your time trying to accumulate wealth. Enjoy what God gives you. Enjoy it as a gift. Now, if you have been with us, we come this morning to the end of the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6 and verse 9. Uh, we get this phrase, it's too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. A chasing after the wind, uh, we've had six times in the first half of the book, and it always concludes a section, and it doesn't appear again in the second half. It's the sort of uh, phrase of the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes, chasing the wind. And so our section this morning, chapter 5, verse 8, until into chapter 6, verse 9, it's all one section focused on money. We're mainly going to look at the first half because it's a sandwich construction. And uh, so hopefully this will appear on the screen. Uh, it goes a bit like this. There's no satisfaction in wealth, verses 8 to 12. In fact, there can be real frustration in wealth, 13, 13 to 17. The center of the sandwich, only God can give you joy with wealth, 18 to 20. And then we take those two steps out again. There can be frustration with wealth, 1 to 6 of chapter 6, and there's no satisfaction in wealth. Okay, So really, we're just going to look at the first half. The second half comes out and says much the same. So we'll work through those. There's no satisfaction in wealth. There can be frustration in wealth. Only God can give you joy with wealth. Let's work through them. First then, in uh, chapter 5, verses 8 to 12, there is no satisfaction in wealth. Verses 8 and 9 are familiar truth to us. We had them in chapter 4, that uh, oppression is connected to the unscrupulous pursuit of gain, financial gain. So here is a corrupt system. Um, if you see the poor oppressed in a district, district and justice and rights deny them, don't be surprised. It happens. One official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are higher still, and the increase from the land is taken by all the king himself, profits from the fields. It's a corrupt system. And one looks after the person below, and at the top of the pile is the king. Don't appeal to him for justice. He's raking in the money as well. We've had that sentiment before. But verse 10, what a verse. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, breath, short-lived, frustrating. Wow. Popularized, I think, most famously by, well, it's attributed to, uh, to John Rockefeller, whether he was the first to say it. But ask the question, uh, how much money do you need to be truly happy? Just a little bit more. That's what people so often think. Are just a bit more and the teacher says you'll never have enough if you think money will bring you contentment you will never ever have enough there was a documentary on um, 
just at the end of April, I don't know if you saw it, BBC Two, uh, the Countess and the Russian billionaire. And um, it's not the sort of thing I would normally watch, apart from it was very well reviewed uh, in advance uh, in the papers. So this is a terrific story. And it followed uh, Alexandra Tolstoy, distant relative of, uh, of Leo. She's the Countess, the English Countess. And uh, she fell for this uh, Russian billionaire. What first attracted you to the billionaire, Sergei Pugachev? Um, Anyway, they fell for one another, uh, by all accounts. And for some reason, never quite explained, they invited TV cameras into their relationship to look at their lifestyle. And so the TV cameras followed them for five years. And uh, you see her in particular just shopping. Shopping, shopping, shopping. I mean, she shows you around their sort of all their lavish houses, uh, their jets and, and transports and cars and things, all their staff that they've got. She gets shown around all these things. And then it's just her shopping with a credit card that can never bounce. But she's bored. And what does she buy? Oh, look, our friends have bought a new plane. We need a new plane. They've bought a new yacht. We need a new yacht. They've bought a new house in the south of France. Well, we need a new house in the south of France because you've got to keep up. No sense of contentment. I mean, why had they invited the cameras in? I think it was to say, look at us. Be envious of us. Because just having the stuff was no sense bringing them contentment. Now you can watch something like that and think, silly people, silly super rich. It's quite fun. You put them up. It's like the 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 uh, the, or the, uh, the criminals on the front page of the newspaper. Oh, nasty people. Good we got them to mock and laugh at. Not laugh at the criminals, but in this case, they were super rich. We can laugh at them. But they are like you and me. I was reminded the... Um, the dialogue that supposedly took place between um, uh, the two writers, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway. And Scott Fitzgerald said um, to uh, Hemingway, the rich, the rich are just different from you and me, aren't they? And apparently Hemingway replied, yes, they've got more money. That's it. That's the only difference between them and you and me. They've got more money. But the same attitude of a bit more money, a little bit more, and I'll be content. I need to buy that, because otherwise I'm missing out. The same attitude is in all of us. It's just on a grander scale for them. So you just watch it, just think of food. So um, uh, the, the small child thinks that going to McDonald's is a bit of a treat. Great. The teenager, not really. That's less exciting for them. Maybe going to, I don't know, Frank Amanka, something like that, a pizza place. That's a bit of a treat. But the 30-year-old doesn't think that's very special. Okay. Perhaps a three-course meal and a nice brasserie. Maybe that's a treat. But then you get a bit wealthy, a bit older. Mm, no, that's a bit run-of-the-mill. Uh, maybe go to Nobu. Maybe that's a treat. But then you get even more affluent, and, well, that's just like going to McDonald's. You can have that every day. You need to have your own chef flying in food from around the world and just, oh, we can all do that. The rich are very different. No, they're not. They're just like you and me in their acquisitions. They've just got more money. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their 
income. And you may say, watching this, well, that's all right, because I don't think like that, and I don't love money. Great. So give it away. Give it away. Spend all your money on other people. Uh, the things you really enjoy, make them treats. That's how you know. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners? Except to feast their eyes on them. Oh, you get a lot of hangers on. You get an entourage around you. Uh, they're of no real use to you. You just look at them. But um, that's what happens if you've got lots. Verse 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Their abundance, it could just be they've got indigestion, I think, but probably more likely, they're anxious. They're anxious about their wealth. Someone might take it from me. I enjoyed the headline in, in the middle of the week um, in the newspaper. David and Victoria Beckham beef up their home security with a secret tunnel. And so apparently their Cotswold mansion, they've built a tunnel from the house worth millions and millions underground to uh, the garage. So if there's attempted armed burglary, they can escape. Although the fact that this secret tunnel is in all the newspapers probably undermines the concept a little bit. But there's anxiety. I can't sleep soundly because someone might take what I've got. Think of all the extra sleep you can have if you're not wealthy, because you're not worried about stuff being taken. So there's the first observation. Look, there's no satisfaction in wealth. The second is like it, just goes a little more deeply, I think. There can be frustration in wealth, verses 13 to 17 of chapter 5. So I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, uh, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune. So um, here's the obvious, the frustration is that you can't hold on to your wealth. Uh, they have nothing to left to give to their children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. You can't hold on to your money. The uh, documentary, the, the Countess and the Russian Billionaire, the Russian billionaire, Sergei Pugachev, was great chumps with Vladimir Putin. That's how he made his money. But then three years into the documentary, he fell out with Putin. And the Russian government said, you owe us billions and billions. And so all of a sudden, he has to flee for his life. And he's hiding somewhere in France, the family in England. All of a sudden, this fairy tale uh, of affluence falls apart, and all that he had has just gone. And the children, they've got nothing. And the countess, she's got to go back to work. It was poignantly sad. But these sections, they're saying more than just wealth can be lost. Over the page, chapter 5, verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? Verse 17, can you feel this? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger 
The lie is that wealth makes you happy. It does not. Most of us think if we had more money, we would be happier. Even if we just give it all away, we would be happier. And here the teacher is saying to have loads of money or plenty of money and not know contentment with it. Oh, that's frustrating. That is deeply frustrating because you, you thought it would and it doesn't. There's just darkness, frustration, affliction and anger. I've got millions, billions. Why am I not happy? The parallel section in chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 make the same point. Verse 1 of chapter 6, I've seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. This is a meaningless, a grievous evil. You can have wealth, possessions, great titles, great honor, a great name. But if God doesn't give you the ability to enjoy them, you have nothing. The God-given gift of contentment with what you have is everything. Again, last time, the countess and the billionaire the most poignant line was uh, towards the end. Uh, Alexandra Tolstoy burst into tears and she said, some people look at me and think, well, your life is so easy. Your children are so privileged. But the most privileged upbringing is to be in a safe family unit where you're all together. Don't need money for that. She's saying, chapter 6 and verse 2, I, I got everything. Okay, I might have to go to work, but I've still got millions in the bank. Uh, I've got a title. I'm a countess. Uh, I've got these various houses in the UK still. I've got loads. I've got nothing. Oh, just to have had a stable family, that would have been great. So look, uh, there can be uh, uh, no satisfaction in wealth. There can be great frustration in wealth. Lastly, though, at the center of this sandwich, chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, only God can give you wealth with joy. Chapter 5, verse 18, this is what I've observed to be good. Ah, oh, positive. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in all their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, huh, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. What are you doing today? I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm occupied with gladness of heart. That'd be a lovely thing. Can you come and see us on Saturday? Well, I'm fully occupied with gladness of heart. That'd be a nice thing, wouldn't it? It's wonderful. Now, I need to explain just one little word that holds really the whole passage together. 
because it gets translated various different ways. It's the little Hebrew verb just to eat. So chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we had it. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume, eat them. Uh, chapter 5, verse 12, the sleep of labor is sweet, whether they eat, gets translated as eat there. But crucially in this latter stages of chapter 5, verse 17 of chapter 5, we get it. All their days they eat, consume in darkness. It's the same word in chapter 6 and verse 2. God does not grant the ability to eat them. Translated here, enjoy them. But in our central section, chapter 5, 18 to 20, twice we're told God can give you this ability. So chapter 5, verse 18, uh, this is what's appropriate for a person to eat. And then in verse 19, God gives the ability to eat these possessions. It's translated to enjoy them. So it's slightly hidden by the different translations, although the text does bring out the meaning. The ability to enjoy what God has given you, whether it be much or actually a little, that ability, it's God's gift. And that's what you need. I guess he's saying uh, wealth minus God as your master equals frustration, but wealth plus God as your master equals joy. But by that, high wealth or low wealth, but it's his gift to make you content with what you've got. What you need is not more money, but God to give you the ability to enjoy the money you have. You can have that gift, whether you earn 20,000 a year, 200,000 a year, 20 million a year. The sums you have are in one sense neither here nor there. What you want is the gift that God can give, that you enjoy your lot. You find pleasure, you're occupied with gladness all your days. And of course, the big question is, how do you get the gift? If this is what you really need in life, contentment with whatever lot you've got, how do you get the gift? How do you get the gift? And at this point, the teacher doesn't tell us everything we'd want. Of course, on one hand, you say, well, it's a gift, so you can't demand it. You have to pray, Lord, I'd love to be content. I'd love to have money without frustration or whatever money I've got just to be uh, satisfied with it. You've got to pray, you've got to ask. But then you can make a resolution as well. So Jesus helps. You turn to the pages of the New Testament and famously, chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, you cannot serve two masters. You must choose God or money. It is impossible to serve both. So pray for contentment, yes. Choose. Choose that you'll serve God. Because if you pursue wealth, you might obtain it. But without satisfaction, it'll only hurt you. But if you pursue God, if you pursue him, seek him, you will know satisfaction. 
And maybe you'll get lots of money and maybe you won't. And that's neither here nor there, really. It's up to him. But you can pursue him and know satisfaction. Let me try and ground it then. I guess all of us watching this have got to be in one of four categories. Okay, we have to be. Here are the four uh, as described um, or outlined in what we've looked at. One, you feel you have neither money nor contentment. I've got neither of those. I'm broke. I'm really fed up about it. Well, you want to start by trusting the words of the teacher, chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. Don't think that if I get money, then my contentment will go up as well. It just doesn't work like that. No one has managed to make to, to do that. If you've got neither, what do you do? Well, seek first the kingdom of God. Ask, I'd love to be content. Pursue him. This then becomes irrelevant, the money pile, but the contentment side. That can grow and grow. So we might feel we've got neither. Okay, that would be the first category. The second category, you might feel you've got plenty of money, but no contentment. That could be another way, rather than having neither. You think, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I've got plenty of money, uh, but no contentment. And the teacher would say to you, I'm so sorry, because that's worse than having neither. Having money but not contentment is just even more frustrating because you've got extra anxieties in life. Of course, what I might want to say is maybe more of us watching this are in this category than realize because we're in a wealthy city, in a wealthy country, and we don't, many of us, have daily anxieties over whether the next meal comes, over where the shelter comes, over where the hot water runs. Not many of us are directly going to benefit from Marcus Rashford getting free school meals over the summer holidays. So perhaps more of us are in this category. Actually, we're all right financially. Not everything, but we're all right, but lacking contentment. And then the last two, well, they're quite similar, I guess. The last two, one, you can have wonderful contentment and no money. And then fourthly, wonderful contentment and lots of money. And if you're in either of those categories, praise God. And it doesn't matter which of those you're in. Three, I've got no money. Four, I've got plenty of money, but I've got contentment. If you're in either of those categories, that's very wonderful. Very wonderful. If you're in the last category and you've got contentment and money, great. Because the kingdom of God needs wealthy patrons to give money and fund all sorts of things. But of course, if you're in either of these categories, contentment high, money low, money high, well, keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing him. Don't get distracted. That would be a tragedy. Keep throwing yourself upon his kindness. Give thanks, Lord, you've given me contentment with what I have. That is such a blessing. Keep looking to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, gave away everything, gave away his life for the sake of others. You know that you're content if you are happy to delay gratification, to have treats rarely, to give and spend your money on the kingdom of God. 
And so the teacher would say to you and me, don't focus your life on accumulation. You cannot serve God and money. Serve him. Focus on him. Enjoy what he gives you. That, that is real richness. That is real wealth to have contentment. With your bank balance says zero or gazillions, that is real blessing. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, in our culture, as we observe so many around us, so many of our peers, so many of those we'd love to be, and the, the, the rung above us on the ladder, accumulating, gaining more and more and more. And Father, somewhere in our hearts is the lie lurking. You'll be happier if you have more money. You'll be happier if you've got more wealth. You'll be happy if you have extra possessions. But we know somewhere else in our hearts that's just not true. So Father, Help us see what is really valuable. That is to know contentment. Whether we've got plenty in our bank balance or not a lot, contentment that is a gift from you, that comes from serving you, that comes from investing our lives for the kingdom of God. Father, would we in that sense be wealthy, we pray. Amen.